important lessons this morning on love. Our title for the series of 1 John that we have been going through is this, Walking in Light and Love. Thus far, we've already come across a number of statements that lead us to the conclusion that Christians are people who walk in the light, not in darkness, and who love, especially their brothers and sisters in Christ. To get us started this morning, I have some verses to give you some support for the statement that I've just made. 1 John 1, 7, for example. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 2, 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Or on the subject of love, thus far we have come across verses like this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called, what? Children of God. These are just a couple of examples under each title and topic, light and love, that we have covered so far in the epistle of 1 John. But we're not looking at both of these themes today. We're looking at one. We're looking at love. This morning in John's typical fashion, which I think is succinct and simple, and clear, he's going to give us two important lessons on love from a Christian perspective. So if you're ready this morning, say amen. Our first point is this, love and hate. This is found in verses 11 through 15, love and hate. That's our first point. If you would please look back at the text as I read it one more time for us. It says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, the first point is love and hate, and the first few words of this introductory phrase is what I want to bring to your attention. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 begins like this. This is the message you heard. This is the message you heard. John has already used this formula in some form or fashion about four times in his epistle. This is a formula that John likes to use when he's discussing something that is elementary to the gospel. In this case, it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. When they heard the gospel, John is saying, when they were instructed in Christian principles, and presumably that included learning the importance of love. John says from the beginning. It wasn't an add-on. It wasn't an addendum. They learned about love, John says, when? 
from the beginning. John says we should love one another. Christian morals and ethics define what we should and shouldn't do. And love is something that we should be doing. We would fall under what would fall under what we shouldn't do, on the other hand, for example, is found in the example of Cain, Abel's brother. John is going to take an excerpt, an example from Genesis chapter 4, and make an illustration to push forward his point like any good teacher would. So the apostle John does. He looks for an example or an illustration to convey what he's trying to say. Now, if you're familiar with this story, uh, let me remind you of it. And if you aren't familiar, let me enlighten you about it. According to Genesis chapter 4, it says that Cain worked in the fields and Abel was a shepherd. Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve. When the routine time came for them to make offerings to God, Cain made his, Abel made his. Sacrifices and the value of life were already established that early in time. Well, when the sacrifices were made, Cain's sacrifice was not accepted by God, but Abel's was. And as a result... Abel's sacrifice being accepted and Cain's not. Cain became envious of Abel. He became jealous. He became full of rage. And Cain killed his brother Abel. Verse 12 of 1 John 3 says this, we should not be like Cain. Now some of you have siblings and you're going, are you sure that's a word from the Lord? If you have a sibling, you know that you could have some knockdown dragouts with a sibling, right? This is just the reality of the matter. But what we're talking about, the tiffs that we have growing up with siblings, and what Cain did to Abel are not the same thing. Verse 12 says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, there was a deep-seated, a deep-rooted issue there. And we know, because the Bible continues to talk about this in different areas, that Abel and Cain were two very different people. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, has something to say about the incident. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says, By faith, Abel Abel's offering to God was more acceptable than Cain's. By what? By faith. Through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift. But just as Abel was hated by his brother Cain, so the world hates us, church. This is the point that John is making as he brings this example to to the forefront of his teaching this morning. Verse 13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. I believe that the context of this verse is telling. I think that as John is telling the story, he's saying, Cain killed Abel because Abel was righteous and Cain was not, and that's what you should expect. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Because you are counted as righteous in Christ, and the world is evil. The word world 
happens 23 times in the epistle of 1 John. One author writes this, and I quote, Here, it denotes the unbelieving world, that is, people who are opposed to God and the believers and who are under the power of the evil one. Remember, we've covered this already. The world, to John, represents that system that is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, and anti-truth. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And why is this? Because we've inherited eternal life. And the fruit of eternal life demonstrates itself in love. Interestingly enough, it's almost as if John is making a point that juxtaposes a blood relationship from a faith relationship. Cain, who was the blood brother of Abel, hated him and killed him because Cain was evil. Christians, on the other hand, who aren't blood relatives, but are bound by faith to the same Lord and the same life, love one another as Christ loved them. Did you get that? It's interesting that John is making the point the way that he is. I think that's what he's trying to say. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love our brothers. You see, what he's, you see what he's saying there? It's almost like he's saying, don't be like Cain, that murderer, and I know we're not. doesn't matter that Cain was a blood brother to Abel. He didn't share Abel's faith. This is what it means to be part of a family, church. Not a biological family, but a faith family. When Jesus was on earth, he taught this. This is Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household." church here, Jesus isn't saying that he wants families to fight amongst each other. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is this. He is saying that he has come to divide those who are with him from those who are not. And that division will not pay respect to blood relations. Because faith relations are eternal, but blood relations are temporal. When it comes to how we feel about Christians, it is largely dictated by the fact that we either understand the gospel or we don't. We see it here in the Apostle John's writing, 1 John, and we see it in the teaching of our Lord Jesus. No family is more important than the family of Christ. Let's move to our second point now. We talked about love and hate in that first section. Now our second point is love and action. Love and action. These are found in verses 16 through 18. Beginning in verse 16, if you'll read it again with me, it says, 
By this we know love, that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So our second and final point this morning is love and action, verses 16 through 18. The first sentence, if you look at it with your eyes, is by this we know that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to, by this we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It ties back, I think, to the first sentence of the previous paragraph, which says, this is the message that you heard from the beginning. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. Verse 16, by this we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us, ties back to this is what we heard from the beginning. In other words, sacrifice and love are central ideas to the gospel. And as we got an example before with Cain, so we are now getting an example of sacrifice and love with our Lord Jesus. Jesus, John says, laid down his life for us. But how? We know how Jesus laid down his life for us, right? He laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous on the cross at Calvary. And God honored that sacrifice so that anyone who places their faith in him ends up justified and sanctified and adopted into the family of God. Amen? That's the gospel. But how do we, as people who live in Miami in 2022, not in Jerusalem, who aren't going to die on a cross on a hill at Calvary, to die or love others in such a way that we give up our lives for them? I'm glad you asked. John isn't going to talk about dying for people as much as he's going to talk about living for people. John isn't going to talk about dying for people as much as he's going to talk about living for people. I can say this with complete confidence and certainty and satisfaction. Jesus paid it all. Book of Hebrews chapter 9 says that when he died, he died once and for all. In other words, we don't need anybody to die for anybody else. That's not required for the gospel. The gospel is satisfied. So as we talk about what John is going to teach us here, we break it down practically, one of the things that we need to understand is that if God calls you to a foreign mission field and you die as a missionary, praise the Lord for that. You're a martyr to the greater cause of God's glory in this world. Amen? But God isn't necessarily calling you to step in front of a bus. On the contrary, that might be the easy way out. I think God's calling us to live for people. He's going to break this down practically for us, and he does it in verses 17 and 18. Look at it with your eyes as I read. Verses 17 and 18 say, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but he closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in that man? 
little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in what? Deed and in truth. So John is talking about practical, real needs being met with love and sympathy and compassion and support because Christ has met our greatest needs in the gospel, which is satisfying our sin debt with the Father. You no longer have to worry about satisfying your sin debt if you are in Christ, because in Christ, your debt is satisfied. Now that you know in Christ your debt is satisfied, you can go help people because you don't have to worry about your own debt. You're not burdened by your own spiritual debt with God because that has been satisfied by Christ. Now, that has not been satisfied by Christ so that you can lay down and be lazy, but rather it frees you up to go do good for others. It's no longer a concern or worry for those of us who are in the faith and in redeemed, and been redeemed, excuse me, so we can serve those around us in love and in goodwill. We can demonstrate the love of Christ that is found in, in, uh, in the gospel. We can help our brothers, we can bless them, we can meet their needs. So how do we do that? Verses 17 and 18 are very practical. So let me make a few suggestions here. The first thing that I want you to note is this. Loving and liking are not the same thing. Loving and liking are not the same thing. Say amen if you're listening here. I I need you to get this. You can dislike somebody and love them. You can dislike somebody and love them in Christ. You can dislike someone and have such a love of Christ in you because of the gospel and what God has done that you still meet their needs if an opportunity is given to you to do so. If you have to either like someone or like everything about someone in order to help them, support them, or guide them, then that isn't love. Love transcends the boundaries created by petty differences and preferences. Love meets needs. Because love sees a person's value in God's eyes above everything else. Amen? Jesus once said it like this. This is Matthew 5, 46. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do that. Even the IRS likes the people that pay them. What God is calling us to is a higher standard, church. God calls us to love above liking. It's not an issue of whether or not we like somebody. It's an issue of whether or not we see their value through God's eyes in the gospel. But I want to acknowledge something. Secondly, some people are hard to love. Yes or no? That's a good country song, by the way. I'm hard to love. Some people are hard to love. You want to love them, but they make it hard. And there's a lot of reasons why they make it hard. Some people make it difficult for you to love them and help them. Maybe they're not good at receiving help. Some people are not good at receiving help. On the other hand, some people are so good at receiving help, but that's all they ever do, and they're terrible stewards of the help that they receive. 
They're like a black hole of help. And you help them and help them and help them, but they don't help who? Themselves. We have principles here as a church. We're a very giving and generous church. We will help people who have needs who are members of our church. And on occasion, we even help people who are not members of our church. But if you don't work, you're out of luck. If you don't work, you need to help yourself. We will love you in the gospel, but we're not going to pay all your bills while you sit at home on your cell phone. That's not love. That's bad stewardship on our part. If you won't do what God is calling you to do, we're not going to make up the difference for you. Now, that's a bigger example of a situation that we deal with on a regular basis, one-on-one. You're responsible for that, too, in your life. If you're helping someone constantly, and they're not taking advantage of your help to get over whatever hill they might be facing, you need to stop helping them, because that's not love. That's codependency. That's enablement. We don't do that. Love is productive. Love enables and sets up people for success and forward momentum. If you help someone who receives it, you should see the difference. But if you help someone and help them again and help them again, and you never see a difference, there's a problem there. You need to reassess whether or not you're loving, listen, with wisdom. Now, the other situation I've mentioned is this. Some people are bad at receiving help. That's a little different. Because some people have pride and ego, and it's not that they don't need help. They know they need help. They just have trouble asking for it and therefore trouble receiving it. There have been times in my life, and perhaps in your life too, I know we have so many giving people in this church where uh, Dimey and I have just left an envelope on somebody's desk or dinner on somebody's doorstep. They didn't ask for it. We just knew that they needed it. We're not looking for praise, church. We're looking to do what God called us to do, which is to love people. I know it's a little frustrating in today's day and age because you're like, if you do a good deed and don't post it on Instagram, did it happen? I got news for you. Yes, it did. Yeah, it did. Now, there's nothing wrong with posting something on Instagram and go, hey, look what we did today. Okay, great. But you have to be careful that your motivation for doing good isn't praise of others. We don't do good to get praised by others. We do good so that our Father will say, that's what I called you to do. That's what I want you to do. In spite of the fact, second point, that some people are hard to love. But can you love them? That's my question. When people are hard to love, can you love them? Because I got news for you, brother. Sometimes you're not easy to love. Sometimes you're hard to love, too. You know, when you're hangry or you're tired because you haven't slept good in a few days, you're hard to love. We all have those moments. I got news for you. This is a little different. I'm turning this into a counseling session a bit, but just hang with me for a minute. You know those few sleepless nights 
those couple missed meals and you start to get, oh, I'm a little moody, Don't, I'm going to bite your head off, be, you know, be warned. Some people have been there for five years. Some people are having a bad season. And you need to understand that they might not be willing to receive love as quickly as you are to offer it because they might have been burned, they might have been betrayed, and they might be dealing with some bitterness that's not your fault. Can you love them anyway? Can you love them even when it's difficult? The truth is, God isn't judging our actions on other people's outcomes. We say that again. God is not judging our actions by other people's outcomes. If someone is a jerk, we should lovingly show them respect. If someone is unkind, we should lovingly show them forgiveness. If they have need, we should be kind by meeting that need as much as we can. It doesn't mean we have to be best friends with them. Love and best friends are not the same thing. Thirdly, spiritual love shows itself in practical ways. Spiritual love shows itself in practical ways. One thing that I don't think we can miss without a serious injury to this lesson is the fact that it is intensely practical. Look at what John says. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The Apostle John is calling us to talk less about helping people, and he's calling us to actually help people. Did you get that? The Apostle John, one of the greatest, most amazing, most interesting theological thinkers in the New Testament, says, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, let us not philosophize about helping. Let us actually do the help. If I sat my kids down and said, Hannah, Sarah, your rooms are a mess. I want you to clean them, get your clothes washed, and organize your desks. And they returned to me an hour later and said, Dad, we've thought long and hard about what you said. We've even prayed about it, and we've done a word study on the verb to clean, and we have written this song, Sweet Hour of Cleaning. Would it mean anything? Well, you laugh because this is what some of you do every week. Church, I feel like this analogy applies to all of us. Some of us hear the command of the Lord, and we talk about it, we think about it, we sing songs about it, but we don't actually do it. He's not calling us to sit around and opine and philosophize and pontificate. He's calling us to take our feet and our hands and to demonstrate the love that's in our heart. God isn't asking us what we think about this or that. His wisdom reaches to the highest heavens, and he doesn't need us to sit around and talk about it. He's telling us to get to work in our lives, practically loving people, 
with a spiritual love that is in our hearts and rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Similarly, James, the apostle James, says this in his letter. James says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Oh, bless. I'm going to pray for you. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Don't talk to me about your faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. That's what James says. Faith is not something we sit around and talk about to try to convince people that we're in the faith. Faith is something that motivates good deeds for the glory of God and the good of others. And so John says, don't love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And James says, what good is it if somebody comes to you being destitute of food and, 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 and need, and you say, uh, be warmed and filled? What good is that? And so faith without works is dead. Listen, we've talked about love and hate, and we've talked about love and action, and that is what we're talking about today. A love that is connected to a God who is willing in his son Jesus Christ to pay for the debt of our sin so that we can be enabled to love others the way he's loved us. He's not calling us to meet any needs. He's not calling us to add to the gospel or the death of his son Jesus. It is a once and for all complete satisfaction so that we can do the work of the gospel for his glory and the good of others. Now, in closing, let me ask you this question. Who will you love this week? Don't immediately go to thinking about it and, oh, well, let me, let, no, you don't need to pray about it, meditate on it. Who do you know in your life that could use some sort of assistance, whether it's $20, a night of groceries, whether it's a card in the mail with a written out prayer or a text, hey, I know you're going through a lot, I just wanted to pray for you and literally write out the prayer to them and send it. I'm telling you, this kind of stuff makes a difference in people's lives because if they're not getting it from us, say amen if you're listening, they're not getting it. If they don't get it from us, church, they're not getting it. And if they do get it, they get it with a fee. They get it with a bill. We're not charging bills because our bills have been paid, amen? That's why as a church, we can help people financially. We have a pantry here. We help people. Like the, every day we have people here. Poor Patty sits down, gets up, sits down, gets up. Sits down. All day long, people are coming. They know her name, the whole nine yards. We love helping people because God has done great things in our life. And he has enabled us through your health and my health to have a church that is healthy enough to reach outside of its walls and to do good for others. But we don't do it with a fee. And we don't do it with a charge. There's a lot that we do that doesn't get posted on Instagram or get talked about on a Sunday morning. It's all glory to God and the good to those who are around us. The question comes back to you. What are you going to do this week? to love others.